podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about consciousness. We're going to talk about the mysteries of the brain. We're going to talk about decluttering our minds with today's guest. Annika Harris is here. She's the author. Thanks for coming. Thanks of, for being here. She's <laughs> author of the new book, Conscious, A Brief Guide to the Fundamental Mystery of the Mind. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'll hold it up here. I love that cover, by the way. Thanks, yeah. Tell I, me, did, did you design that or was that? Gemma O'Brien is the brilliant artist who did this these illustrations and I was very lucky to be able to work with her. But I knew, I knew that the cover was going to be important for this. I, I really wanted this to be an accessible book on a topic that is largely confined to academic circles. And so mm. I knew the artwork on the cover would um, would matter, and she she totally nailed it. Well, it turns out with this book, you can judge a book by its cover, and it's an amazing <laughs> cover, and it's an amazing book. I what? joked a lot with Gemma that her that her cover was going to raise the expectations too high. <laughs> it was it could only oh, it was the reader could only be disappointed after that cover. But. No, what possesses great. someone to write a book about consciousness? I mean, uh, what is next? Like quantum physics. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and by the way, turning it into something that is like, there's a certain amount of brevity here and it's succinct, yeah. but it's also, uh, it's palatable because like, as you said, it's, it's generally a topic that is just argued about within academia and 13 people might read a book about that, yeah. but yeah. you've, you've written something that is accessible, mm-hmm. but it also left me walking away with more questions than answers, but I feel like that was your That's, intention. That was my intention. Mm. Yeah, that was the idea. Um, I actually originally had a series of questions at the end, just to kind of reiterate, these are all the questions that I think are interesting and that we need to be thinking about. Um, and we we decided not to include them, <laughs> in well, the we book. Gotta... but the book is itself a series of questions, yeah. really, um, and it's more than anything. It's about challenging our intuitions and about that being an important piece of the scientific process. Mm. Um, so, uh, do you want me to give a, a little yeah, overview yeah, of what, what the book is? Yeah, or? yeah it's okay. great. Um, so, yeah, it's about the the science and philosophy of consciousness, um, and I really wanted there to be an accessible book on the topic. It's something that I have thought about my whole life. I've been um, basically obsessed with thinking about this topic. And then for the last um, 12 or so years, I've been working primarily with neuroscientists, um, but with scientists in general. Um, and so I've, I've learned more about the brain through my work with, with scientists. And I started actually writing um, to work through some of my own thoughts. Um, it was really my own notes that and they started probably 12 years ago. Um, and actually, around that time, I tried to get some other academics um, who I worked with to write a book like this, and I couldn't convince anyone to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're like, I'll do it myself. Um, yeah, I, well, I didn't know that's how it would go. But um, after many, many years of thinking about it and reading and researching and interviewing scientists, um, I I just felt like I needed to work through my own ideas. And it's such a complex topic that I just started writing my own notes um, and sharing with friends and a few of them suggested that I 
that actually published something. So it start, I actually started writing a, a long article that I thought would go to you know, Scientific American or something like that. And um, the more I shared it with people, the more people started suggesting that I actually turn it into a book. Um, so I didn't, I'm not sure, <laughs> not sure I ever would have taken on this project if, I, if I'd known what I was getting myself into. Um, but yeah, so, so it is, um, I take the reader through what I think are some of the most interesting um, theories and research and consciousness studies. Um, and it really focuses on what makes consciousness so mysterious um, and why it's um, continuing to dumbfound scientists and why it's so difficult for scientists to study. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really all of all of the work that I discuss is really in the context of um, challenging our intuitions about what consciousness is and that being an important part of the project, especially when we're stuck on something. So um, this is true in every area of knowledge and scientific breakthrough. It seems that um, in order to understand something at a more fundamental level, to understand a more fundamental truth, um, it requires that we challenge, at the very least challenge our intuitions. Often we have to completely let go of some Mm. intuitions that were totally misleading us. and I always like to give examples here because it, it sounds right, but people don't realize that this is basically true of every scientific breakthrough we've had, you know, starting with um, understanding that the Earth is a sphere and not flat, as all of our senses lead us to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, anything... is she breaking news here? <laughs> Some people still have let's a hard not, time wrestling with there. that intuition. Yeah. Um, to you know, anything that happens on a significant time scale, um, evolution, um, mm-hmm. the, the idea that I'm somehow related to fish um, or mushrooms or, or you know, banana, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly, <laughs> that, that we share genes. I mean, these are counterintuitive um, facts. The germ theory of disease was something that took human beings a very long time to get their heads around. It seemed um, mystical. And even now, without science, still seems mystical right, in a way. Right, because we don't have intuitions for it, right? We can't see, we can't see it. We can't feel it. We have no way um, with, our, with our everyday senses to perceive mm-hmm. these microscopic organisms. And so something that's totally invisible to us makes us sick and can kill us. You know, this yeah. is not something we have intuitions for. So I think um, when we're stuck um, in an area of knowledge or scientific, um, s- something that we're interested in studying scientifically, I think the first step or one of the steps has to be challenging our intuitions. Yeah. And so I think we're at a point like that um, with consciousness right now. That's what I really like about your book is you do an excellent job of helping the reader let go of the intuitions, wh- whether it's with you know scientific data or it, just the different lenses that you yeah. put in the book. Like, uh, you know, uh, you talked about if you and your, your friend could join brains and like, what would that consciousness look like? But just a simple thought experiment like that totally, yeah. I think, helps you let go of that intuition. So yeah, excellent work, excellent job. Well, today we're gonna talk about some different types of consciousness, I think, and uh, because even that word is, is used uh, to mean different things yeah. at different times, right? we should right? probably define it, actually. I, I made this mistake in, in another interview where I forgot to <laughs> define it and then well, sometimes realized people... at the end of the conversation it would have been helpful. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes people mean aware Awareness, uh, right? They just yes. mean. Oh, what what do people mean, and what do you? What, yeah. How do you define consciousness? Um, consciousness has a has a wide range of definition. People use it um, 
to mean many different things, which is so it makes it confusing. And I start with a definition in the book. Um, what I'm talking about in the book, um, and usually what philosophers and scientists are referring to when we're talking about the most fundamental level of consciousness. So some people use the word consciousness to, to talk about um, self-awareness or thinking or complex thought. Um, but what I'm talking about in the book and what is, is in fact a mystery um, is a much more fundamental, um, the basic sense of an experience. And I actually think experience is a better word. Awareness has multiple definitions too and doesn't necessarily entail consciousness and we can kind of go through those. But so consciousness, um, the way I use it in the book, I actually bring up um, the philosopher Thomas Nagel's um, description that he uses in his his famous essay. You're both shaking your heads. I feel like you've read this essay. What, it, what is it like to be a bat? Um, and in that essay, he says, an organism is conscious if there's something that it's like to be that organism. Mm-hmm. For some people, they get that and that that's, has a strong meaning. For other people, they can't get their mind around that language, which makes sense to me because the language is not really precise. Yeah. Um, it's more a kind of getting at a, a sense of experience. Um, so I'm definitely I, the latter. Like it took me yeah, reading that a couple times yeah. to really understand I w- what that I meant. think most people are, are in that camp for sure, especially it, it's not actually accurate language what it's like um so i in the book and in conversation with people i'll say um is there something that it's like to be you right now and of course you immediately you know that conjures up the fact that you're having an experience there's your your collection of matter in the universe and that matter is having an experience um is there something that it's like to be that glass of water Mm -hmm. and our answer is no you know we imagine there's no experience there Mm -hmm. um and even if we're wrong (laughs) 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 um it doesn't actually matter the point is if you can distinguish between a collection of matter in the universe that doesn't have experience and one that does that difference is consciousness um so at a very basic level it doesn't necessarily entail thoughts or um self-awareness or it's yeah just a pure pure experience yeah i think Um, experience is a good a good word to kind of help define what we're talking about here Mm -hmm. well your book left me with a lot of questions and we've got some questions from our audience today so i think we'll start with those our first one is from marco in flagstaff how do you mentally minimalize your how much you think i guess you could say i'm kind of having an issue with just decluttering my thought process and thinking and I'm, I've physically decluttered much of my things but now a problem for me comes to mentally decluttering and I just was asking if you guys had any methods or things that could help with that. So Annika, it, the, this question tends to come up a lot. It mm. manifests differently but we have cluttered minds, yeah. whatever that means, right? One of the most difficult parts of consciousness <laughs> is when we our brain is running amok. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a David Foster Wallace story called Forever Overhead. And it's about a 13-year-old boy on his 13th birthday. And he is uh, out of swimming pool going up to the high dive for the first time. And it is, it's a beautiful story. But the whole story is about thinking and how he's trying to stop thinking and how that leads to more, more thinking. thinking. Right. And uh, there's a line in there, I'm paraphrasing, but um, you have decided that most fear comes from thinking. Mm. And uh, I think it's so true. All of our our sort of, well, I mean, of course, 
everything here has to do with thinking, but how do we compare that mm. to, to consciousness? Because mm. and I think we'll, in a little bit, we might dive into panpsychism. And I was actually pleasantly surprised to see that in here. Yeah. Mm. Not because I necessarily believe in it, but because yeah. you were s totally open to it. Yeah. yeah. But no, let's I, don't, I don't necessarily believe in mm. it either. I'm, in the book, I say I'm 50-50 I'm whether you know, there's a brain-based explanation for consciousness or whether it actually goes goes deeper than that. I think that's um, another one of the tools that you use to kind of help let go of, of those intuitions that we have. Uh, mm -hmm. So panpsychism basically means everything is conscious. Am I describing that correctly? Yeah, I mean, in a, in a general sense, okay. it's kind like of this a, microphone, it's a category. Yeah. Well, sort of. Okay. I mean, that's, to say that, I think, is misleading. But um, okay. <laughs> panpsychism is a category of theories um, that describe consciousness as being a fundamental feature of the universe. And it mm. ranges from theory to theory, whether that's at information processing or um, exists in some sort of field, the fluctuations of which, you know, give matter this intrinsic property of experience. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, often, so one of the criticisms often is, and it's, it, I have to always say, <laughs> it sounds completely crazy. It sounded <laughs> crazy to me for a very long time. No, and there were years where I just yeah. didn't really even look into it because it, it um, sounded... So out there. Yeah, yeah, and it just, it the way... Everything's connected, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There, are, there are a lot of new age... Um, <laughs> new age uh, thinking that likes to adopt panpsychism mm -hmm. to help support whatever you know, pseudoscientific theory someone's yeah. come up with. And most often that's not actually, it's not something that can be applied to right. this, you know, any crazy ideas that I, I, I forget actually which jokes I used in my book, but I think <laughs> one was, um, it, you know, if your neighbor thinks she can talk to her ficus or, you know, th those types of things, panpsychism does not actually make any of those claims <laughs> and doesn't support those claims. Um, so yeah, the idea that the microphone is conscious, I mean, just to say, to, to label an inanimate object and say, you know, it, it's conscious one, um, we have to be very careful to distinguish consciousness from complex thought. Mm. Um, so and that's, con where, that's where Marco is right now. We, we assume Marco has a brain in his head, right? <laughs> and, and so um, I guess the, 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 yeah, the so two sides here, one's panpsychism, all matter has some sort of consciousness is the theory there, whether or not it's true. Yes. Uh, and then the other is that consciousness emanates from the brain yes a and so with with marco it seems like okay he's he's really struggling with with his thoughts now yeah. of course my first inclination is to say well have you ever meditated Meditation. right mm -hmm. um but um it's like literally the first thing i had written down to <laughs> can, can, yeah. can we give well, him something that concrete is, that's what we i have. mean it's cliche advice but like cliches are cliche for a reason but meditation totally does help quiet the mind it helps you to deal with those thoughts because those thoughts are always going to enter your mind. Yeah. The question is like, how are you going to deal with those thoughts when right. they enter your mind? Well, that's what mind? I was going to say. So it, it does kind of paradoxically have the effect of, of quieting your mind, just becoming aware of the thoughts, usually, not always. Mm. Um, but no, what meditation gives you is the ability to be with whatever is in your mind mm. I love um, without this this struggle, without this conflict, without feeling like there's all this clutter, right? It's almost like um, the minimalist approach to to um clearing your thoughts is more just to let them be there there's some there's something simpler about yeah. letting them be there rather than trying to block wrestling them or, with them yeah mm -hmm. i feel like yeah. we're, we're so overstimulated right now as well yeah. i mm. often say when it comes to the physical goods the easiest way to get rid of them is not bring them in in the first place mm. and and i think 
also if if you're someone like marco or like most of us who deals with anxiety or or, or we just have so many discrete bits of input that are we're being barraged it's drinking yeah. from from the, the the fire hose and maybe the first thing to do is to turn the volume down externally as well mm -hmm. so we're exposing ourselves to you know the thing that's vibrating in our pocket or the computer screen in front of us and the television and sometimes we're doing all three at once yeah and of course, that's going to lead to a clutter mind. So I, I think that that also reducing the number of inputs makes it a bit, I won't say easier, but simpler to, mm -hmm. to sort of sit with those thoughts. Mm -hmm. Because no matter what, you can remove all the inputs, go do a 30-day retreat in a cave, you're still going to have the thoughts. Yes. Yeah. And, and that, yeah. And I think that really speaks to his question because... Um, from the beginning of humanity, you know, when when we had almost nothing, right? When we were... the Rumination and thoughts kind of pushing you around and causing uncomfortable psychological states is just, I mean, it's essentially the human condition, so. Do you think yeah. language was a sort of a, a precursor to that? And if uh, before humans had language, maybe we had fewer anxiety producing thoughts? Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, we definitely, yes, <laughs> yeah. I think. So, I mean, it's all, it's all brain processing, right? And then whatever, I mean, e even in some crazy world where panpsychism is true, um, that doesn't actually change anything we already know, which is that this collection of matter, which is my brain, is processing and doing its thing, and that gives rise to the experience I'm, I'm having, right? That's mm -hmm. why my experience is different from a, a cat's experience, or, you know, it's, it's the processing, and so... Um, I think sometimes these types of questions get framed incorrectly in the way I like to think about it. I think what's important to remember is it is all brain processing. And then how does that brain processing change or become influenced or get affected? Because our brains are not these closed off systems. They're constantly interacting with the outside world through our senses, but also now that we have language through through thoughts um, and communication. So um, you can affect a brain purely in a physical sense by through medication or you know and drugs mm -hmm. or surgery or injury you know any way in which the the physical brain is manipulated will actually change your experience because the brain is changing mm -hmm. um, but thoughts and communication also change um, and so we we tend to think of those as 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 if the end result is different, but the end result is the same. So if I, if I, you know, looked freaked out and said, "Oh my God, someone just walked into the room with a gun," you're you would have a whole physiological response to that, right? Mm, like right. that that idea um, actually changes your your brain and changes your physical being. Yeah, even if it wasn't um, true, you just said it and I believed it. Right. That would be enough to change my physiology. Yeah, yeah. right, right. And so uh, this is happening all the time. Ideas, thoughts that we're having ourselves, so the ideas that our own brain comes up with, is there's like this feedback loop, right, where then affects the physical state of the brain. Um, other people's ideas affect the physical state of our brain. And then there's, you know, genes and everything in the environment and everything else that's affecting it. But then the end result is what, what we're experiencing. And so when we're looking to change our experience, the question is always, what's the best way to change the state of my brain? And it can sometimes be through thoughts or through techniques techniques of med meditation, and it yeah. can be um, through So maybe with Marco, ways. it's like, how do you break that feedback loop? So, uh, yeah, me meditation would help. Um, meditation would definitely I always help. say too, like uh, there it's for me, it's always important to have a good therapist on hand mm. <laughs> because I can go and talk stuff out yeah. and I have, you know, client, 
uh, privilege where, you know, he can't repeat what I'm saying. Um, Tony Soprano, like, totally made it okay for me to go see a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Like, he goes and he goes and has people deal with his shit. Like, I'm going to go and have someone deal with my shit. But, but, you know, even if it's not a therapist, it could be a friend that you're talking stuff through with. Um, it could even be a book yeah. that, that you read to kind of help yeah. you gain a different perspective. So, Marco, I mean, there are many tools here that we've brought up. Uh, it is it is a matter of, you know, trying each tool out and seeing what works best for you. There isn't going to be a catch-all mm-hmm. magic bullet answer, although I think meditation probably There's could be. I just thought of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, I think that's the best answer for sure. sure. Um, another one I just thought of, though, is that um, when we get into kind of repetitive thinking or we can't really stop ourselves, we get kind of into these grooves of thought processes of anxiety or wh- whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, just stopping that cycle for a moment actually makes a difference physiologically too. Mm-hmm. So Changing your state, um, yeah. Yeah, and that can be done. I mean, that's part of the reason why I love listening to podcasts now. <laughs> um, it, uh, it gives you a break from your own thought cycles. So mm-hmm. listening to a podcast, listening to an audiobook, reading a book, um, getting yourself engaged in something that just that just breaks the cycle for a minute can help you reset. And I actually think that's often for people who are really ruminating and, and getting um, stuck in anxious thoughts in, in particular, but other types of thinking like that, um, where you can get kind of caught up in a loop. Um, getting your mind focused on something else before you meditate, I actually think is, is very helpful. Oh, that, yeah. way, that way during the meditation, you're not just ruminating about the problem. Well, it'll come back. Yeah, <laughs> <But> of course. <laughs> Excuse me. It'll come back, but it, it's it's an easier place to, to start from. Yes, indeed. Definitely. Marco, I'm gonna send you a copy of Annika's book. It's called Conscious. Also, I'd love to send you a copy of our book, uh, Essential. It's an essay collection with 150 essays in it, 12 different chapters about 12 different areas of intentional living. But one of those chapters is about mindfulness. So we'll send you both of those, a copy of Conscious and a copy of Essential. Sean, if you could reach out to Marco, I'd appreciate that. Send him the audio book or... Or the book book or the ebook, if he would prefer. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media. Indeed we do. So we're at The Minimalists on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, during the lightning round, Annika, this is where we, we, we attempt to answer questions with short, shareable, less than 140 character responses. Do I have to participate? <laughs> no. <if you> <laughs> well, you, what that would can, be very challenging for me. <laughs> what you'll do is you'll just like kind of you know give an answer, ramble on a little bit, and then Sean will make it nice and beautiful in post. Yeah, he'll, he'll make it tweetable. Um, yeah, he, he's he's the best editor I know. And uh, we call these minimal maxims. We put the text of these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our, our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. And you can find all of our minimal maxims in one place now, thanks to our good friend Jessica Lynn Williams, uh, minimalmaxims.com. All right, our first question is from Samir. Why does a spontaneous purchase of an expensive thing make you feel good? Now, I just want to give the caveat here that as being one of the minimalists, I still get that urge to buy stuff. And you when hypocrite. I, I know, right? <laughs> and, and it's like, even when I do make, well, I guess, you know, uh, kind of staving off those impulses when I actually do make a purchase, it makes it, you know, a little bit more meaningful. But I still get that dopamine hit, you know? It's like, I don't think there's, a, you know, this magic bullet answer that's going to, like, make people stop wanting to buy um, but but yeah, it certainly is. It can be addicting for sure. Well, my pithy answer is, and we can unpack this a bit. A fairy tale well told doesn't make it more true. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I'm looking at Samir's question here, and it's like, does it make you feel good? Uh, maybe in the moment. I think what Samir is doing is confusing pleasure with um, contentment mm. in a way. And um, 
you get the dopamine rush. You get the oh, the, 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 the checkout line high, so to speak. But that doesn't last far past the checkout line. It doesn't bring you real joy or contentment. Mm-hmm. As a minimalist, everything I own serves a purpose or brings me joy, I like to say. But very few things actually bring me joy. Um, it, Josh is allergic to joy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I find the things that bring me joy rarely are things. Oh, you could tweet that podcast, Sean. Um, but uh, there is there, there has to be a process in the brain, right? There, there's, there's some dopamine yeah. being released here. Well, and people are different, too. So I was thinking about this. <clears throat> Sorry. I should. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, I was thinking about this watching your documentary because I relate to a lot of it. And in many ways, I am a minimalist and I just that that's how I've I've always been. Um, But you would laugh (laughs) if you you saw my closet after hearing that statement. But I think for sure, many more things bring me joy than bring you joy. Right. So every not everyone um, is the same just at at a base level. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah I mean I think that distinction is important but I think yeah what what you said is absolutely true that it it gives you kind of a high in the moment and I think there's an evolutionary reason for it too we're we're needing to collect things where you know we're we evolved to live in a very different world from the world we live in yeah um but we're still clinging while our our brain still clings to those those imperatives so to speak like the the need to hoard was actually a useful one at one point in time and now it just sort of gets in the way of living a a more fulfilling life yeah Yeah, i wish there was like this list of 100 things i could be like annika here's 100 different pieces of of material items you need and this is uh you're gonna live a very happy perfect life and no you're absolutely right i mean that's josh and i stress that a lot about how what we talk about is what we do Mm -hmm. and even him and i uh you know differ in opinion on on some things believe it or not Mm -hmm. but uh all right so my pithy answer uh very similar to what i was talking about earlier with the dopamine don't go chasing dopamine ephemeral pleasures are easy and addictive so um, do you think sean's gonna like insert the tlc song don't don't (laughs) Don't, go chasing waterfall everything i had to not be like don't go chase all right Our uh, next question is from Drew. Do you consider obsession over a person, place, or thing to be a byproduct of a diagnosable disorder? Or is obsession just a state of mind? Well, I have OCD, and so I guess that's a, a diagnosable disorder. I learned from your book that it's probably because I like touched cat shit when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know, it's unbelievable, like the stuff that you bring up, how toxoplasmosis, I believe, yeah, totally I change your personality. It contributes specifically to OCD. Okay. Oh, yes. Oh, no, that's strep. That's, um, the strep bacteria in young children oh, okay. causes severe can cause severe OCD when the body has this strange response to it uh-huh. um, so so in Annika's mm-hmm. book she talks about a couple different uh, germs or bacteria that can totally affect your consciousness affect yeah. who you well, are what your impulses are I mean there's a um well I guess this doesn't really change your consciousness but did you hear about the something the mosquito or something that like makes you or the tick that makes you allergic to meat yeah like oh. Yeah, it's crazy. Some deer tick that's in right. Texas, I believe. But no, yeah. I go into all this detail about parasites, which is the most fascinating stuff, where it just completely takes over certain behaviors of the host. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have drives and desires that they didn't have before that are totally based on the parasite's needs. Oh my right. goodness. To- toxoplasmosis is the one that makes rats run toward cats. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just, it's changing their brain. And I think yeah. the same is true, I mean, for Drew's question here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my pithy answer is simple. It's labels are incomplete and limiting, mm-hmm. but necessary. And, and so, so 
I label this thing a microphone, right? That's necessary. We have language. That's a label, right? But it's also when we label something like you have obsessive compulsive disorder, it becomes this limiting diagnosis that is disempowering in a way. And so when a doctor told me when I was in my early 20s that I have OCD, it's like, well, I I have this diagnosis. But what does that mean? Oh, well, now it just means I'm, I'm... uh, what trapped for the rest of my life? Well, especially right. for something like that. I mean, there there's a range, and it's it, it's not really a specific thing in the way that they they um, label it as. Um, and I I tend to be OCD, and I have actually been diagnosed with it. But I I'm sure that, that you know I'm I'm on that spectrum somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember talking to someone about it at, at some point. I was asking que- I was just curious. It was a I was asking someone questions about psychiatry and and the brain and all these types of things um and he said most successful people are on the ocd spectrum Mm -hmm. and so a lot of these things that are diagnosable in in a some lesser form are actually extremely useful and i'm sure you have noticed all the ways in which it's helped you in your life yeah definitely i mean it's made me care about things and and attention to detail has been amplified and uh and it could be the other way around you're some i mean it's these are all like descriptions of your personality and the way your brain works and in combination with the things you've been through in your life and yeah i think ocd is not the most helpful way to describe all of these different um but that is i mean it's it's definitely again i would go back to kind of looking at the brain as a system and how if you're if you're uncomfortable right if you're in a in an experiencing the types of things people experience with ocd in a very extreme way this can totally limit your life they can it can be debilitating it can be you can it can make you very unhappy so the question is what's the best way to change the state of your brain and there are different responses to that and meditation is one and medication is another and they're both valid and it kind of it varies from person to person but i think it's it's good for someone to recognize that they're suffering in that way if they're suffering so that they can make a change yeah Yeah. absolutely i mean that kind of leads into my pithy answer which is extremes can be a detriment so you know with josh's ocd for example it could be a detriment if he like let it go to the extreme but he has tools and different things that he uses to um well like you said annika to like use it kind of as this like secret power that uh really helps josh um with his life but you know anything that we obsess over if we get to that terminus of obsession I think when you get to that terminus, it will always be a detriment. So when it comes to obsession, yeah. it's just really about deciding um, what is the balance. And then once you can kind of see where the balance is, like how do you get there? A healthy, well, level, a healthy, healthy level of obsession has helped me do some really uh, powerful things like, like yeah. writing a book. I, I don't think Absolutely. you can write a book without a, a healthy level of obsession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure you, were, you, uh, you stayed obsessed about this, especially to get it as – as no, pithy. That was, that's 15 years of my obsession. <laughs> right, right. But, but, but it's um, also not, uh, you know, infinite jest in the sense of its length. Like, um, uh, you could, that's like a phone book, but this is like, th- this is distilling it down into, again, I, like I said, I walked away with a bunch of questions. Yeah. But those questions, I think, were, were helpful. It wasn't just like, oh, why didn't she answer? I mean, again, part of my OCD would be like, I want the answers to yeah. consciousness. She didn't tell me exactly what it is. Well, I, I want the answers too, but I think the only way we're going to get there is to ask more questions. But yeah. yeah, no, ultimately I feel the same way. I just want to know, which is why I can't stop thinking about it, I think. Mm. Uh, and it would be disingenuous for you to, to posit a, well, here is the explanation, right? Um, many people have tried to do that, right? And, and what I like about it is you present some different 
points of view and uh, you, you bring them forward in a way where it's they can battle with each other or they might battle each other in, in my own mind mm-hmm. and uh, we, we I think we walk away with with a better understanding but in a weird way a less complete understanding yeah, but that's but sort that's of the purpose also, I mean the once I realized I was writing this for the general public um, the main reason I wanted to write it initially was because we actually get a lot of joy and um, we enjoy the experience of feeling awe and encountering things that we mm. can wonder about. Um, and there's actually research, a lot of research on this now, actually, and, and it increases our well-being to have things that inspire awe. Um, and most people are immediately interested when they hear there's new information about black holes or about you know, the beginnings of the universe or about everything that comes out of quantum physics. It's all just perplexing and incredible. And we, we like to think about it. It's fun to think about. And yeah. there are ton, you know, endless documentaries and books. Um, and for me, consciousness fits in with those great mysteries for sure. And so I really just wanted, I mean, as much as I want to actually understand it, and it's true with all these things, I want to understand, you know, is there a beginning to the universe? And these things, um, like Infinity, I was actually just talking about this. Um, there's a great children's book called Infinity and Me, and it's just about wrestling with this idea that we can't actually get our minds around it, right? Something that goes on forever, we can't imagine it, but if we ima- we can't imagine an end either, right? Mm-hmm. It, um, so I think these things actually bring us joy, and I think many people don't realize how mysterious consciousness is um, and how confused. I really didn't. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I knew it was it was something I didn't have a grasp on, but now I sort of understand why I don't. Yeah, no, and so it's it's like a great mystery that we can all think about and contemplate and be awestruck by. Yeah, yes. and appreciate. Yeah. Totally. All right, looks like we have a bunch more surprise questions this week. Uh, how do I halt my mind's obsession with purging stuff? How has your study of consciousness affected your worldview and priorities in life? That should be an interesting one. Mm. What does it mean to live a meaningful life? Also, uh, Annika is going to explain to us why free will doesn't exist <laughs> <laughs> and why that's okay and and much, much more. And if there's time, um, let's discuss meditation for kids. My daughter mm. just turned six. Mm. You have a mindful games, uh, which we'll talk about. I haven't played that with Ella yet, but I have read your – you have a children's book called I Wonder. Yeah. And we're going to uh, – we can talk about that a little bit too if there is time. And if you want to hear all that, you can listen to this week's Maximal episode available exclusively on Patreon. That's that's right. You're currently listening to our weekly minimal episode, but each week Ryan and I and Annika this week, uh, we record a much longer maximal episode on the minimalists private podcast, which gives us the private space we need to talk about a bunch of stuff we don't talk about in public. Uh, this week we talked about ketamine <laughs> <laughs> and much, 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 yeah. much more. Uh, anyway, uh, Patreon is also the best way for us to fund this podcast. Keep it 100% advertisement-free. So thank you to our Patreon supporters. When you subscribe to our Minimalist podcast, the private podcast on Patreon, you'll also receive a personal link so that our maximal episodes play in your favorite podcast app. You can find all the details and all the good stuff, including an additional pot, uh, private podcast episode every week over at theminimalists.com slash support. It's also worth noting that uh, we're capping our Patreon supporters at six 
thousand supporters so we're more than halfway there now and we've more than doubled in the last few months so if you're interested now is a good time to to get on board and listen to the private podcast that we do every week ryan what else you got for us being informed is more important than ever as always i want to encourage people to read more and get informed that that, that reminds me of this cartoon ryan <clears throat> oh yeah uh yeah it's uh, from the new yorker mm-hmm. it's two guys uh seated at a, a dinner table together and of course yeah. they're just talking about whatever and the guy says and don't even get me started on topics i even know less about <laughs> that's how i feel that's how i felt today about talking about consciousness <laughs> it was a fun conversation though all right man hey i've got some uh, voicemail comments and tips from our listeners check them out hi minimalists this is katie from anglesey in wales in the uk and i just wanted to share a resource that's helping me use instagram in a more minimalist and deliberate way It's called Filtergram and the website is filtergram.app. And the way it works is you add people that you want to follow by their Instagram usernames. And then it shows your feed on Filtergram in chronological order with no comments other than the initial caption and hashtags and crucially no advertisements. It's read only, but if you do want to interact with a post, you can easily open it on Instagram with one click. You can also add keyword filters so you just display certain content from the people that you follow. For example, if you only want to see posts from a specific user that mention minimalism. It's web-based, so there's nothing to install on your computer or your phone, and you also don't even need an Instagram account to use it. So I hope this is useful for people who like Instagram and want to connect with people, but want to do so in a bit more of a deliberate way. This is Chantel from Anchorage, Alaska. I have a tip for listeners who are on their journey towards becoming minimalists with their belongings, but struggle with guilt from getting rid of items. Whether it's guilt from the wasted money spent or the emotional attachment to items you are ready to part with, it can sometimes be difficult to just dump certain items into a box and donate them to a thrift store without seeing them appreciated by somebody else. Instead, check out your community's Facebook groups such as Pay It Forward or Buy Nothing, which allows you to post an item online and people in your community can respond to claim the item. Then you meet up to hand the item off. It requires a little more time investment, but that allows you to contribute to someone who may be in need and to see that the item will truly be valued by another person and put to good use, rather than sorted through by a for-profit thrift store and you never know if it's actually going to make it to someone else's hands. It helps to reduce waste and consumerism and makes you feel like you're contributing while also helping you clear your own space of things you no longer use. I've been a member of both Pay It Forward and Buy Nothing for years, and it's been very useful to get rid of things and also acquire things that I know will be put to good use without going out and spending money. All right, y'all. Thanks again to Annika Harris for joining us today. You can check her out at AnnikaHarris.com. Check out her new book. It's called Conscious. You can get that wherever uh, wherever books are sold. Also, uh, she has a great kids book that I read to Ella all the time. It's called I Wonder. I'll hold this up for the YouTube audience here. And I haven't played these with Ella yet, but I'm going to. Mindful Games Activity Cards, which she uh, co-produced with Susan Kaiser Greenland. So you can check those out. We'll put a link to those in the show notes as well. Oh, and real quick for uh, right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists. Jordan, we have me one of those coffee bags. I just gave one to Annika on her way out. But uh, Ryan and I opened a coffee shop. A few, ooh, he gave me the pretty purple one. <laughs> uh, uh, we opened a coffee shop a few years ago. We just started roasting coffee. 
a couple of years ago, and now it's available to the public for the first time very recently. And if you're interested, we do this thing called the Minimalist Choice. It's what Ryan and I are drinking currently. This isn't the actual one but uh, that's going on right now. But if you just go to theminimalists.coffee, not .com, you can go to theminimalists.com. That'll take you to our website. <laughs> but if you want to go to our coffee, it's theminimalists.coffee is the extension there. And you can find out what we're drinking right now. You can order it yourself so you don't actually have to go to St. Petersburg, Florida anymore yeah. in order to, to drink our favorite coffee. I'm really proud of this new packaging too. Yeah, it's uh, beautiful. They did such a great job. On I just the attention new- to detail that those guys give a bandit is just it's incredible, man. From the packaging to the amazing freaking coffee that they're they're producing right now. Amen. So uh, check that out, theminimalists.coffee. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, leave us a voicemail four zero six two one nine seven eight three nine or send a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash the minimalists. If you want our show notes in your inbox, you can sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. You'll also receive our simple Sunday emails each week. For our added value this week, let's listen to a song that sounds like consciousness to me. <laughs> Ryan, uh, you know Jonesy from Cigaros? I mean, I know Cigaros. Yeah, so Jonesy is the lead singer, and he has an album with his partner, Alex, uh, and the, the group is just called Jonesy and Alex, and uh, the album is called Rice Boy Sleeps, I believe. Hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, Rice Boy Sleeps, and this song is called Happiness. It's from Jonesy and Alex's 2009 album, Rice Boy Sleeps, and to me, it just it sort of sounds like what I imagine consciousness sounds like. If you were to like, I want to make a, a musical score for consciousness... It's this album, (laughs) and especially this song. That's great. If you leave here today with just one message, y'all, we hope it's this. Love people and use things, because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time.